The branches of this tree of samsara are extending downwards as well as upwards. Guna pravurdaha, they are strengthened by the gunas, sattvarajastamas. Vishay pravalaha, the sense objects are their shoots. All of the sense objects, see, whenever my mind is under influence, any kind of a guna, whether it's sattva, rajas, or tamas, something will attract me. In the 14th chapter, this is discussed. Sattvat sanjayate jnanam, sattvam sukhe sanjayati. So when my mind is sattvic mind, then also there is a desire, desire for knowledge. Sattvat sanjayate jnanam. So this world, which consists of the various objects, it always attracts me in one way or the other. If my mind has sattva in that, then the object creates in me, the world creates in me, a desire to know. Rajasaha lobha evacha. If there is rajas in my mind, then there is greed. And there is also the desire for pleasure. I want to have more and more pleasure, more and more comfort, and more and more of things. This is rajas. That's what the world does to me. Tamasaha agnyanam. If my mind is the influence of tamas, then there is indifference and indulness, inadvertence, laziness, sleep. So guna pravurdha, in this manner, my nature, which, is, which consists of the sattva, rajas and tamas, as long as I continue to function within the realm of these three gunas, so long I will always have the relationship of attachment and aversion for the world. 
And that's how this becomes more and more strong. Karma anubandhini, and as you said, how these things create more and more karma, more and more action. We showed the whole chart here as to how this world, the objects, creates either attachment or aversion in me. Of course, the root cause is projection upon myself. Most original cause is ignorance. That ignorance about myself causes projection or misconceptions or notions about myself. And the primary notion is that I am a limited being. So limitless. Who Swamiji, who does all this? Who sees this snake? The rope snake example is a nice example. But sometimes the question is, who sees the snake? Who are we trying to tell all these things? It's most interesting. Who sees that snake? And who is the one who is being given all this teaching? Brahman. Most interestingly, it is Brahman. So it is like the rope taking itself to be the snake. That is really the example here. Rope itself taking itself to be a snake. Similarly, Brahman taking itself to be a jiva or a hankara or ego or limited being. How can it be? Don't ask that question. This is what it is. <laughs> How can it be? Why? That's, why, that's why it is Maya. How can it be? How can the limitless take itself to be limited? There is no explanation of that. All we can say is, the one who takes oneself to be a limited being is in fact limitless. This is all we can say. How is, how is not our, anyway, is not within the scope of our inquiry as it is. What is within the scope of our inquiry? Because suppose you know the mechanism of how, then also whatever it is we still have to deal with. The idea, I have to deal with this sense of limitation that I am suffering from. And I am trying to deal with it in my own way. And that is what causes all this, that perpetuates the search. Like the tenth man searching for the tenth man, that search will be perpetuated. But how can the tenth man search for himself? I don't know. Somehow we find him searching for himself. How come I am looking for the glasses which are already on my hair? How come I am looking for them? I don't know. As I said one day, that this lady was searching for her denture. When there was lunch bell in the ashram, the lunch bell was rung, everybody was, you know, going to the dining hall. And here I, I, this was our camp, and I see this old lady searching for something. She said, what are you looking for? Swami, looking for my denture. And she was wearing it. This is true. This is actually, a, this is not a, you know, created thing. This is true, that she was wearing her denture, and she was still looking for the denture. How can it happen? It can happen. In fact, the whole world is like this. Every experience reveals Maya. If we say that, this inert objects of the world do not have any content of happiness, then also, whenever I feel I want to be happy, I reach out for them, and whenever I seem to experience them, I seem to gain happiness. So how come this which does not have happiness seems to give me happiness? That's all. That's called Maya. And so, that is how the limitless takes itself to be limitless, limited. The rope takes itself to be the snake. And so rope is being taught, you are not the snake, you are the rope. So what is, what is, the, what is the place of rope? So what is it that is in place of rope and what is that in place of snake? Brahman is in place of rope. 
This jiva, the limited being, individual, self, ego is in the place of a snake. Brahman, the limitless, takes itself to be a limited being and then struggles to become free from that limitation. So this is sense of limitation is created, sense of smallness is created. That's what ignorance does. This is the process of creation, Vedantic explanation of how the creation came into being. There's no need to do anything. Otherwise, there's no need for the limitless to do anything because it is limited. A limitless, the reason for doing is to bring about some change, to accomplish something. Behind performance of every action, there is always a desire to accomplish something, to become something, to get something. For the limitless, there cannot be any desire because there is nothing to become, it is always limitless. So desire and limitless can never go together. And still I have desire, I the limitless have desire. This is, you know, this is maya. Why do I have desire? Because I take myself to be limited. So this is how creation takes place. Moment desire comes, I have to do something to fulfill that desire. Desire is like a bug having entered in my ear. I cannot be comfortable with a desire in my mind. I and desire cannot go together. Moment a desire arises in my mind, it just makes me restless. I must get rid of that desire. And the way that generally I know of how to get rid of a desire is to fulfill the desire. This is how I know. When a desire arises, it makes me uncomfortable. The only way that I can become free from that is to fulfill that. That's why I perform an action to fulfill the desire. Action will produce a result. Either a desirable result or an undesirable result. Either success or failure. When my effort is successful, I'm happy that is a reaction of elation, harsha, and that creates raga. When my action is unsuccessful or a failure, that creates a depression, that creates dvesha. So, an action that is prompted by ragadvesha creates ragadvesha as a result. That's why Lord Krishna teaches in Bhagavad Gita, perform actions not as prompted by ragadvesha, but as prompted by the spirit of offering, spirit of worship, spirit of beauty that I should do. This is proper for me to do. So do perform an action not as prompted by Ragadvesha because if an action is performed as prompted by Ragadvesha, it only creates Ragadvesha in its wake and those Ragadveshas create further desires and further actions. Karmanubandhini. This is how the karma comes. That creates further Ragadvesha. This is why it is avyayam, this is perpetuate, this thing goes on. It is endless. That's why Lord Krishna said, this tree of samsara is avyaya. <clears throat> so, therefore, rather than plunging into the thing, just think about it. Narubha masche Think about the reality of this creation. And you find that it is not there really. So take up anything and then find out what is this. As a scientist does, you know what he does, he keeps on splitting this into its, its components. Keeps on splitting and splitting and splitting into molecules and atoms and further subatomic particles and ultimately disappears from his side. He says it is merged into energy, it becomes energy. And therefore when we really try to understand the reality of the world, we find that it just doesn't, nothing makes sense, I'm, nothing makes sense. 
Actually, so many questions are asked and answers are given, people feel that, oh, this is a very good answer. In fact, nothing in the world makes sense. Nothing, nothing can be, ex- you can't even find out reason for anything. Why a given thing happened? Oh, Swamiji, this fellow uh, hurt him. And so he's, or he killed him, did something. Therefore he's uh, convicted, he's to be imprisoned or is to be hung. All right. But why did he do that? Why did he perform this caravan act? Oh, because, as, you know, going back to, well, that is how his upbringing was. Whatever unconscious and whatever conscious kind of things he had, that's what made him do. Why did he have that unconscious? Oh, because of his parents. Why did the parents have that? Because of their parents. Why did they have that? Because of their uncle. Whatever it is. And ultimately it will come down that it is because all this cycle will lead back to him. Why is that so? Because of him. You know, like this story of this Japanese story of this man who was uh, breaking, his, his task was to break these rocks, the stones, that's all, split the rocks. He had a big hammer, and that's what he used to do. And one day it was hot, sun was, you know, sun, sun, sun was shining, it was very bright, and it was very hot, and this fellow was tired. And he saw a wealthy person going into uh, a horse-driven car, carriage, he said, how wonderful would it be? You see, if I were, I was, you know, I didn't have to work in the sun, and how nice would it be if I could sit in that, if I was that rich man, going in a horse-driven carriage, I would not be bothered by sun. Fine. No sooner he thought, he became that. This was, uh, no sooner that, he became that. Unfortunately, what happens with these cars is that, that is my experience, wherever you sit, that's where the sun comes anyway. In the car, you know, when we sit in the front, that's where the sun comes. Sit in the back, it comes from there. So similarly also, after he became this wealthy person and riding the carriage, and still the sun started, kept coming, you know, and bothering him. He said, I must become the sun. Then I'll make sure, I'll see that everybody, I will scorch everybody. He will take revenge. I'll become sun, I'll scorch everybody. He became sun. Then he started scorching everybody. And then came these clouds, stupid clouds. They would not allow him to scorch, you know, because people were quite comfortable under the clouds, even though sun was shining very hard, and still these clouds would not allow him to uh, harass the people. I want to become clouds. Then I'll rain and I'll see that everybody, everything is wet and everything is drowned. He became clouds. And he started pouring, and you know, uh, floods. But look at these stupid rocks. In regardless of how much rain is there, nothing happens to them. This cloud tried, you know, to, to, to do something to this rock by, by pouring and pouring, nothing happened to this rock. And this cloud got upset, I must become a rock. Then he became a rock. And came this man who wanted to split the rock and he started breaking the rock. And then rock says, I want to become this man, then I'll split every rock. He again became the... <laughs> That's how it comes back. Really, ultimately, why did something happen? It will come back to us. You have to go to a few lifetimes. We do not know. All that we know is only later in this lifetime. That's okay. We don't know what happened in the past lives and what, you know, how, what kind of events led to this event to happen. We do not know. But if we did know, perhaps everything will come back to us. I am the cause of everything, ultimately. 
so logically there are so many doshas meaning defects so many logical defects are there anyonya shraya one thing depending on atma shraya one thing. why am i like this because i am like that or anyonya shraya why am i like this because of him why is he like that because of me that happens like this mulla nasruddin once was uh, walking along you know in alley he was alone and he saw four huge people you know coming from the other side and they were very threatening and mulla thought that he's going to be hurt and therefore he wanted to run away there was a there was a big wall and he just somehow scaled the wall and went to the other side it happened to be a graveyard and he started running this fellow started chasing him and ultimately this fellow uh, he was running and he fell into an open grave and was lying flat like that and those four fellows also came and they were looking at them <laughs> they were asking me this is those fellows asked him he says well why are you there he says well coming to think of it i am here because of you and you are here because of me and so this konyonya say one is because of the other other is because of the one like this this is what will happen when you try to investigate anything anything then we will have all kinds of problems that's why narubhumasya tathobalabhyade you cannot determine the nature of anything you cannot find out the cause of anything or you cannot determine anything to be only such and such all you can say that from this point standpoint this is how it is but nobody can determine what exactly given thing is nanto anachade nacha sampratishtha you can't determine when this whole thing began you cannot determine when will it ever end and what it is right now nothing can be determined scientifically i am telling you and logically also but not having inquired in this manner taking to be taking the world to be real and trying to thus fulfill my desire of becoming free as i said we are trapped into this whole loop and thus this process of karma karma phala raga dvesha desire all that perpetuates and therefore how do we get out of this so in the second line of third verse we are told ashvatthameram suvirudhumulam so this functioning in my life unintelligently i manage just to entangle myself so much people get entangled you tell one lie at one time and then to, to protect it you tell another lie and then to protect that a third lie or like that person gets entangled more and more and more in business also sometimes you try to save the business and get the loan from here and do something get something from there people get entangled in the life they are trying to in fact uh, become free from things and in the very process getting more and more entangled ashvatthamenam suvirudhamulam this ashvatha the tree of samsara even my individual being itself is a tree of samsara they this ego itself can you call the tree of samsara ego itself is a product of ignorance and it itself perpetuates from one embodiment to the other and what is the when this ego begin nobody can tell when will it ever end nobody can tell what is its nature nobody can tell except that it is so entangled with its likes and dislikes and everything <clears throat> the only way to come out of this is asanga shastrena drudhena chitva this tree of samsara chitva is to be cut asunder is to be felt as is that out of the word vruksha the tree was explained so vruksha a tree means that which can be felt felt this tree cut this tree asunder 
my shastrena mother weapon mother strong weapon the strong sword of asanga shastra by the asanga the sword of detachment so first step lord krishna says this that you make yourself free from this entanglement not by any action it is not that by doing something that i can become free from the entanglement because like that like that um, elephant you know he keeps on sinking more and more into the mire more he tries more he sinks it's not by doing that i think i can disentangle myself more i try to disentangle myself i get more and more entangled and therefore asanga shastrena vadi shastra of detachment that only thing that minds me with the samsara is what we call attachment and aversion and by vairagya by the detachment which arises from viveka or discrimination so what is required is discrimination living life intelligently before i do anything may i always scrutinize everything with my intellect and and you know subject everything to scrutiny of the intellect as to what is the purpose for which i am doing something let's say that my mind desires something usually i go ahead and fulfill the desire but i ask my mind hey mind what do you want oh i want that uh, you know new house all right then what like you know this dialogue of swami vivekananda one swamiji was traveling it seems from india maybe to united states and in ship those days and it would take pretty long time a few weeks and swamiji was already well known because this was i think his second visit was already well known and so people were used to gather around him in rural satsang and things like that and this swami vivekananda saw that there was one young man who was always avoiding him never come to him like this two three days passed and this swamiji decided to anyway talk to him so he approached him and asked him what is your name where are you going oh, i am going to united states what for i want to go to the college what for so i'll i'll go to medical school then what so well then i'll become a doctor then what then i'll start a practice then what then i'll make money then what then i'll build a house then what then i'll get married then what then i will have children then what well i love in my eldest child will be a son then what i'll send him also to medical school then what he will also become a doctor then what he will also start making money then what i will retire then what i'll go back to india then what i'll live a retire, retired life then what what do you mean then what then what then i'll die is it all are you doing all of this just to die that's all the purpose of doing all of this and the young man realized that and he was thought as to why i am doing all of this this is it. what's the purpose behind all that i want money for what i will well this so what then what i will have a big house and big car. then what all of this is for what oh, so that i'll be happy will you be are these things capable of making somebody happy is it that the things make me happy or do i require something else also to become happy to become happy not only do i require the things the objects the means to become happy but i also require the capacity to be happy 
What is that capacity? Capacity is a mind that enjoys a certain composure, certain poise, and then alone it can enjoy things. Even to enjoy music also, I must have a mind that, that has a certain amount of composure, otherwise I can't. Even to enjoy good food also, it may be there in front of me, but if my mind is upset or disturbed, I can't enjoy it. To enjoy anything, ultimately I require a mind, and not only just a mind, but a mind that enjoys a certain amount of quietude, tranquility, composure. But if my mind enjoys tranquility, then what do I need to be happy? To be happy, I require that kind of mind, but if I have that mind, suppose I do have a mind that enjoys the tranquility or composure, then what do I need? I don't need anything, because that itself is happiness. Happiness is not in a thing, happiness actually is nothing but a state of mind. And what are these things do to, what do they do to me? All they do is they just become instrumental and creating that state of mind. And therefore, what I am doing today is, I am depending upon all these millions of things of the world so that they will create in me a pleased state of mind. And there is also by chance, that something can create a pleased state of mind, a thing cannot consistently do that, and therefore I give this up and I take up something else, that can make me happy for a little while, I give that up, take up something else, without even inquiring. Whether, is it that which can, what is it that I need? I need that pleased state of mind, and what creates the state of mind? Why not I rather work for a pleased state of mind, rather than I work to create, acquire all of these things, and through them, Rather than creating a pleased state of mind, why don't I work with a pleased state of mind? What is that pleased state of mind? Oh, that's a mind that is free from attachment and aversion. That's a pleased state of mind. Attachment is raga, that is rajas. Aversion is dvesha, that is tamas. So when my mind becomes free from rajas and tamas, it, it gains its sattvic nature. That's when it is pleased. So that, rather than depending upon all of these things which are most uncertain to eliminate my ragadvesha, why not I eliminate ragadvesha, attachment and aversion in the first place? What's the cause of their being there? Abhiveka, non-discrimination. I've been assigning values to the things of the world which values they don't have. I look upon them as a source of happiness. Oh, Swamiji, Mercedes is wonderful. But a person in the village who has never heard of that car, he never thinks, even thinks of that, think of that. I think it is wonderful because my friend has it, or my neighbor has it, or somebody has it. In short, I assign values to these things, is it not? Maybe hundred years ago, or hundred fifty years ago, when there was no Mercedes, people never even thought of that. They thought of something else. And then it is I who first of all assign values that is, so wonderful to have a certain car, or certain kind of a house, certain kind of clothes, certain kind of this. Just I project value to them, and then when I get them, I think that they are giving me happiness. If all they are doing is making my mind free from that craving. There is no happiness in a thing. It is in a mind that becomes free from the craving, becomes free from the desire, becomes free from attachment and aversion. It is that mind which enjoys what is what we call a pleased mind. And attachment and aversion, both of them are there because of not understanding the nature of things. As we've been always giving the example, uh, where is our magic thing? Here it is. Yeah, the attachment to this bunch of grapes. They're there and I'm hungry, and I slowly approach them with all the hopes 
there is an attachment because it's grief to the capability of appeasing my hunger. Only when I pick them up, then I find that they're all made of plastic. My attachment is gone. When does, when does it go? When I understand the true nature of the thing, that it does not really have what I think it can give me. But Swamiji, real griefs can do that. Real griefs can appease my hunger. But real griefs cannot give me happiness that I think they give. If the graves gave me happiness, that is all I need is to stock, stock my refrigerator with graves. Every time I feel a little sad, go and have, you know, a few graves. It doesn't work that way. There is no such thing that consistently give me happiness. There is no such thing that consistently give me a sense of security. Nothing. In short, happiness or security is something to discover from myself. And whenever I feel happy, that happiness is nothing but the state of my own mind, reflecting my own self, and creating that mind, an external thing or being has just become instrumental. So that's when you understand even the nature of an experience of happiness. Then you realize that happiness is not something that comes from outside, it is something that revolves from within. Whenever I feel happy, it's not that happiness has entered from outside, it is something that wells up from within myself where outside object or a person or a situation has just become instrumental. So what is Viveka? Viveka is to directly work for a mind that becomes free from attachment and aversion. Attachment and aversion are because of projecting upon the world, upon the objects of the world, a value which they don't have. All I need to do is to take away that, remove that projection. Understand that the only thing, only place, the only thing that can give me happiness is only a conscious thing, consciousness, which is myself. The objects of the world are all inert. Inert thing cannot make the conscious being happy. Consciousness alone can make him happy. And that is how I, I discover a freedom from attachment and aversion. Both of these, both of which are a product of aviveka or non-discrimination or not knowing them properly. So, we are talking about Asanga. Asanga means Vairagya, freedom from Raga and Dvesha. Not only freedom from Raga or attachment, freedom from Dvesha, aversion also. Some people feel that Vairagya means, Swamiji, now I have real Vairagya, I don't like anything. So many people feel, Swami, I have lost all interest in life. After listening to Vedanta, now I don't like anything. But that is not Vairagya. Maybe that is some kind of aversion. That I dislike everything. Now, dislike everything also is not Vairagya. So, Vairagya is freedom from not only Raga, but freedom from Dvesha. Attachment and aversion. Both of which are there on account of not understanding the nature of things. And when I review them, evaluate them for what they are, and I know them for what they are, I become free from either attachment, or aversion. That state is called Vairagya or Asangata. Sangha also means attachment. Asanga Shastrena, Mari Shastra, by the weapon of detachment, by the weapon of Vairagya. So the only, only thing that drags my mind or takes my, deviates my mind or distracts my mind from myself is only Raga and Dvesha. Attachment and aversion. The only thing that distracts my mind 
from what I want to do. Suppose I want to in my mind, want to repeat the name of God. And what is it that distracts my mind? We will find that the reason is either attachment or aversion. Whenever I have an attachment for something, my mind likes to think about that. Because it gets pleasure in thinking about it. When I hate something, then also my mind unfortunately thinks about it. It would be nice if my mind only thought of things to which it was attached, but my mind equally thinks about things which it hates. Because either it wants to settle account, it wants to take revenge, it wants to do something about that also. So you'll find that whenever my mind gets distracted from my meditation or from anything that I want to do, the reason is either raga or dvesha, attachment or aversion. And that is the only way that the objects of the world can bind me. What is called bondage? When some anything can create in me a reaction. If there is a reaction of elation or depression, a reaction of hatred, or reaction of jealousy, or reaction of resentment, or reaction of anger, or reaction of greed. If any one of these reactions is created in me, that is called bondage. So that is how we say that the objects of the world bind me, because they create in me one of these reactions. And thus I am controlled by them. Because reaction controls me. Anger, when it arises, I am controlled. This object creates anger in me, and this controls me. Another object, um, the object creates greed in me and controls me. Somebody else creates jealousy in me, controls me. Somebody else creates resentment in me, controls me. Thus making my mind free from all these negative tendencies is called asangata. That is called dispassion. Freedom from passion. All of these are called passions. Anger, lust, greed, jealousy, resentment. Whenever any of these tendencies or feelings are in my mind, Mind is not in my control. I am in the control of that feeling. So Lord Krishna says, acquire a mind which is under your control. Only that mind which is free from these passions can be in my control. Asanga Shastra, acquiring a mind that enjoys the freedom from all these negative tendencies of passions. And that comes by what we call Viveka or discrimination. Understanding the real nature of the thing. So the first step. And that is the only reason for discussing samsara. To show how a person gets entangled in the life because of lack of viveka or discrimination and how by discrimination one can become disentangled. Entanglement is of the nature of attachment and aversion. Disentanglement is of the nature of freedom from the attachment and aversion. That entanglement came on account of aviveka, lack of discrimination and disentanglement comes by viveka, by discrimination. Now, then my mind now becomes what we call an abiding in oneself. It becomes an introvert mind, abiding in oneself. Otherwise, mind is extrovert, all the time running away. Now the mind becomes composed, abiding in itself, having acquired that mind. So, purpose of discussing all this tree of samsara and everything was just to point out that something needs to be done. Otherwise, if you don't do something, this ragadvesha will not go by themselves. This lust and anger and greed will not go by themselves. They are all like fire and more we try to satisfy them, more intense they will become. And that's how this is all a perpetuating cycle. The only way to become free from them is to do something about it.
as I said, having vega discrimination in our life. And this also includes a life of values, all of this, you know, a life of worship, a life of yoga, all of this, such that my mind becomes free from the passions. <coughs> then, in the fourth verse, Lord Krishna says, Tatav padam tat parimargitavyam Tatav padam tat parimargitavyam Yasmin gatana nivartanti bhūyaha Yasmin gatana nivartanti bhūyaha Tameva chādhyam purusham prapadye Tameva chādhyam purusham prapadye Yatav pravratte prasruta purāni that means having managed to disentangle the mind by making the mind free from the hold of these passions of attachment and aversion, Tataha thereafter. Asato Brahma Jignasa Brahma Sutra says, the first sutra, Asato Brahma Jignasa thereafter. Brahma Jignasa, Brahma Vicharah Kartavya, then one should make an inquiry into Brahman with the help of the Upanishad. Thereafter. Thereafter means what? Having had that preparation, what Swami says, Adhikaritvam. So Asanga Shastrena Dudena Chitva. Chitva means what? Having felt. See, it's, a, it's an incomplete verb. Chitva. Having done something. Having done what? Having gained Adhikaritvam. Adhikaritam is what? Preparedness. What is preparedness? Asanga. Asangata. Meaning detachment. That means, now enjoying a mind which is free from the hold of these passions such as attachment, aversion and other passions arising from them such as the lust and the anger and the greed and all of these are the products of Ragadveshas ultimately. Tataha thereafter. Now when the mind becomes sattvic, then there arises a love for knowledge. Until then the love for knowledge does not arise. As you said, as long as the mind is under the hold of the rajas or rajoguna, there is only love for bhoga, pleasure. When the mind is under the hold of tamas, then there is love for hurting, for cruelty or for not doing anything. Only when the mind becomes sattvic, then there is a, there is a desire for knowledge. There is love for knowledge. Tataha, that means having gained a sattvic mind. Tat padam, tatah padam, tat parimargitavyam. Tat padam, that pada. Padyate, idi padam, that which is reached is called pada. You know pada in all the Indian languages, pada means a, a, a position. Here it means a state. What is that? Padyate, idi padam, that which is reached is called padam. That means ultimate goal. So that state, that goal has to be sought for. Parimargatavyam. One must inquire into that, one must investigate into that pada, that state. Yasmin gataha nanivartandhivuyaha. Going where they do not return. One should now seek that state, going where one does not return. Just to, just to contrast it with the kind of this thing that we have. We now and then do reach, now and then do experience happiness. 
Now and then do experience peace or silence or happiness or security. Now and then it does happen. But then it goes away. That is again coming back. There was something which created a moment of happiness and then again I fall back. Again I struggle to climb to the happiness. Again I fall back. So I do now and then. Somebody asked me, Swamiji, this moksha is something that... Uh, what is it moksha? Is it something that we can even visualize? Moksha simply means freedom. Can you visualize it? Yes. This freedom, as Swamiji points out a number of times, is something that you do experience now and then. Not that you do not experience. There is that moment of happiness. Once in a while, when I completely lose myself, doesn't it happen sometime? Not that every time I'm happy it is like that, but there are sometimes, there are times when I really wanted something so badly and it just came. Or I never expected something and it just came all of a sudden and I just become so pleased, so happy that momentarily I lose myself. What is that? That is experience of moksha. That is experience of that unconditional freedom. Momentarily. As a matter of fact, every day in a state of deep sleep, I do experience that freedom. But unfortunately, in the state of deep sleep, I am not aware of what it is that I am experiencing and therefore, it doesn't help us. Not only we want ananda, but we want satchit ananda. Not only we want ananda, which you do seem to experience in the sleep, but then it is not chit. There is no chit means awareness that time, so that's not enough. So in the wake, that's the reason why we want to be happy in the waking state. And I do get happy in the waking state sometimes. And I'm aware also of that happiness. But there's no sat. Sat means that which never goes away. Such which that is everlasting. Unfortunately, the ananda is always momentary. That's why I'm not satisfied. What I'm searching for is satchit ananda. I want ananda. I want fullness. What kind of fullness or happiness? Which is accompanied with chit, awareness. And then also I want it to be sat. Sat means I want it to be everlasting. Tat padam, that's the pada. But only thing that we want is only happiness. We don't want anything else. What kind of happiness? What we call unconditional happiness. Each one of us is searching for happiness. How much happiness? All the happiness that I can have. How much happiness do you want? All the happiness I can have. How long do you want to be happy? All the time I want to be happy. Where do you want to be happy? Everywhere I want to be happy. If I had my way, it's not going to happen, I know, it doesn't happen. But suppose I had my way, if I could imagine, or if I had my way to create what I wanted, I would want to be happy at all the times, at all the places, under all conditions, a happiness which lacks nothing. Happiness at all the time, that's called sat. Happiness that lacks nothing, that's called ananda. And happiness about which I'm aware, that's called chit. So really sat chit ananda, unconditional happiness, unconditional freedom is what I'm seeking. So let us understand what it is that I'm seeking. Even suppose that the world gives me happiness now and then. Swami, you keep telling me that there is no happiness in the world, but I do find happiness. That when I watch that movie, I am happy. And that when I eat a certain food, I am happy. That when I listen to certain songs, I am happy. When I am in company with some people, I am happy. All right, suppose you are happy. 
then also that happiness is not always conditional happiness. A thing can make me happy as long as I satisfy their condition. And they satisfy my condition. Is it not so? Something can make me happy as long as it satisfies, as long as conditions are satisfied. There must be in a mood also, it must be something that I like. Even a cup of coffee can make me happy, provided it has the right texture, the right amount of milk and right amount of sugar and right amount of coffee and right amount of spices and right amount of boiling, everything must be right. If one of the conditions is not satisfied, it's okay, I drink but I don't enjoy it. A friend can make me happy provided everything is right. Should be, you know, there must be right amount of smile and right amount of... See, you're not talking, then there must be talk also properly, there must be proper smile, there must... All kinds of things must be there, then only I can be happy. Even my clothes, anything can make me happy provided conditions are satisfied and not otherwise. There is nothing that can give me unconditional happiness. Understand, what I am searching for in my life is unconditional happiness. There is nothing in the world that can ever give me that. Tat padam, that is called pada. That is called that goal. That is called the ultimate thing that I am seeking. Yasmin kataha nanivartandi bhuyaha And I don't want just a momentary, momentary experience of that. I want it forever to be there. Having acquired that happiness or freedom, I don't want the bondage to come back. This today I find that now and then I am happy. Again that unhappiness comes back. I don't want that. Or I get back into unhappiness. I do not want that. Yasmin gataha nanivartanti bhuyaha Having reached where, there is nowhere, nothing to note. There is no return. Having acquired which, nothing remains to be acquired. Having known which, nothing remains to be known. Having reached where, there is no going anywhere. That's what I want. A gain which involves no loss. Because every gain always involves some loss. Whenever I get anything, Understand, that's what I want. Let's understand what it is that I want. That state is called Pada here. That state. Is it a state of mind? What is that state? Is it a state of mind that I am seeking? Then I am seeking Samadhi. As the yogis say, in Samadhi, I am in Nirvikalpa Samadhi. It's at that time that I experience this. Tada drashtuhu swarupi avasthanam. Then the drashta abides in his own nature. But if the dashta or the seer or the self abides in his own nature, only in that state of mind, then what happens when that state goes away? The abidance. Then I come back again into this world or the samsara of the duality. But I want that to be everlasting. If it is everlasting, then it cannot be confined to a state of mind. It cannot be confined to anything, any time, place or condition. Is it not so? It must be everywhere. What is that one thing that is everywhere? Tell me. What is that one thing that is there at all the times, all the places and all conditions? There is one thing that is everywhere, always there. What is that? Who knows Brahman and who knows God? This is our hope, belief that God is everywhere. It's a belief. Alright. But one thing we know is our experience. There is one thing that is always there at all times, all places and all conditions. And who is that? I. Is it not so? The times may be hard or whatever it is, but I am there. The place may be good, bad or indifferent, I am there. The I is that which can never be negated. That is unconditionally there, is it not so? 
For I to be there, no condition is required. For I to shine, no condition is required. And therefore, what I am seeking is not something outside of myself. What I am seeking is really that I. If what I am seeking is my own self, how can I ever find it anywhere else? And that's what I am doing right now. I am searching for it everywhere in the world. Sometimes in wealth, sometimes in name, fame, power, and all kinds of things I'm searching for in my progeny, in my property, in my, in my friends, in my society, and so forth. Like the tenth man searching for the tenth man. What I'm searching for is my own self. Going where, there's no coming. What do you mean going where? There's nowhere to go. Knowing which, that's what. So your going is knowing. Even Yasmin Gata, even though Lord Krishna says, going everywhere or reaching where they do not return, there is no reaching here. The tenth man doesn't have to reach tenth man. The tenth man says, no, there is a tenth man. But it looks like, oh, I got it, you know. Oh, we got the tenth man. I got my keybinds. I got my glasses. They were always there. But then when I'm ignorant that they are there, it is as good as they are not there. And when I come to know, oh, they are here, I got them. So knowing and getting is one, is the same, where it comes to something which is already existing, which is already there, already accomplished. For something which is already accomplished, what which I do not know that is accomplished, that is the glasses are already I'm wearing. And still I look for glasses. You'll be surprised, that happens because when, when you keep several pairs of glasses, I keep two, three pairs of glasses, one pair of glasses for general use. Another pair of glasses for putting on in the class. A third pair of glasses when I'm studying. So sometimes I look for glasses. And often I find myself very fine. I have, I'm putting on, I have the glasses on already, you know. <laughs> and so it's not unusual that I'm searching for something that is, I already have, then I say, I have it. I come to know. So knowing is as good as getting. So gatwa, having reached, meaning having known in this case. So there are two things in our life. There are those things that are not accomplished. They require an action to accomplish them. There are those things that are accomplished, they require knowledge to accomplish them. Here we are talking about the accomplishment of what is already accomplished. Praptasya praptihi. That Satchit Ananda, that wholeness of the fullness which I am searching for is already my nature. It is only veiled by the avarana, by that ignorance. And therefore, what is to be done is to remove that ignorance rather than, rather than do something. Tatah padam tat parimargitavyam. But all of this is possible only when I enjoy mind which enjoys the sattvic nature. As long as Ragadveshas are there, I can't even think straight. I cannot think clearly. Yasmin gataha nanivartanti bhuyaha Going where they do not return. So first, viveka, vairagya, samadhi shatka sampatthi mumukshutvam. Having gained that mumukshutvam, then what we should do? Tataha thereafter, what one should do? Approach the teacher. Tad vijnanartham sa guru meva vigachet samit panahi shrutriyam brahmanishtham. Parikshalokan karmachitan brahmano nirvedamayat nasthe krutah krutena. 
as Mundaka Upanishad says, Pariksha Lokan, when one analyzes this world and its accomplishments, then one realizes that the world can give me something all right, but cannot give me what I am searching for. What I am searching for in life is Akruta, uncreated, something which must be already there, something that is uncreated, because what I am searching for is limitless. Limitless cannot be created. Tadvignanartham, it is something to be known. This is very important. This happens in a given mind. That is why the Asanga Shastrayana Dhrayana Chitva. That this, the person who was so far a seeker of things becomes a seeker of knowledge. A mumoksha is transformed into a jignasu. A seeker of moksha is transformed into a seeker of knowledge. Tad vijnanartham sa guru For the knowledge of that, he must approach the teacher. And with the help of the teacher, parimargetavyam. So he must, in fact, he must. Uh, search for this, he must seek this. Seeking here is knowing. That means he should seek the knowledge with the help of the teacher through the scriptures. That's the process. So what I am searching for is that padam. That's the goal that I am searching. That that is I am searching for. How am I going to acquire it? By knowledge and not by an effort. How do I gain the knowledge? By approaching the teacher and listening to the scriptures by Sarvanam, Mananam, Nididhyasanam. And all of this becomes effective when the second line, Tameva Chadyam Purusham Prapadye Yatav Pravrattif Prasrta Purani Prapadye, I take refuge. Adyam Purusham Prapadye in that primeval person, primordial person, primeval, Adya. Adho bhavaha adhyaha. That which always obtains in the beginning. That which is the root of everything. That from which everything has sprung up. Who is that? That purushaha. Who is purusha? Purusha means person. Purusha means consciousness. Purusha means purunaha, the one who is complete. Purusha means purishaha. So purushu, so shayana, shayanam purusham. The one who dwells in the hearts of all the beings is called purusha. That consciousness, that's a self that dwells in the hearts of all the beings. That is complete in itself. That fills up everything. So that which is complete or whole or limitless, that Purusha, which is my own self, Prapadye, I take refuge unto him. What is my way taking refuge unto him? Meaning that I seek to know him. Prapadye is Prapati. Prapati means Sharanagati, surrender to the Lord. It can be looked upon in two ways. Ultimate surrender is by way of knowledge. The right kind of surrender is by knowing him as myself. Then my ego is totally surrendered. When the ego is revealed to be nothing but that the Lord, then there is no more ego. That is ultimate surrender. So ultimate surrender is by way of knowledge. But before that also there can be surrender by way of devotion. I surrender myself to the Lord. Depending on at what state we are talking about. Surrender. As Swami would say, I surrender to the Lord who is in the form of the order. I am sure that will be talked about in Dhyana meditation. But surrender. That, that surrender requires a total shraddha or a trust in the Lord. That there is God who is a creator, sustainer, destroyer, who is just, who is benevolent 
who is omniscient, omnipotent, a trust in that God. And a surrender. That, as we said, uh, he is benevolent Lord. And whatever he does, he always does it, that which is proper for me. That which is always beneficial to me, this is what he does. A trust. And therefore, even if I am confronted with something that is unpleasant, I can accept it still, having trust that this also must have some reason to be there. It must be there, to, it must be some kind of a blessing in disguise. So here is the devotee who looks upon everything as a blessing of the Lord. When things happen as I like, it's a blessing which is very open, clear and overt blessing. When things happen that I do not like, he looks upon them as blessing in disguise. But it's a blessing. So this is called surrender to the Lord. All the time giving benefit of doubt to the Lord. Surrendering my will to the will of the Lord. More of the Lord, less of the ego. More Ishwara, less of the Ahankara. This is called surrender. Surrender also is only in terms of knowledge really. Surrender is also not an action. Although generally it is expressed as a prostration. Dirga Namaskara. That is surrender. But that is symbolic of knowledge. Even surrendering to Lord also is knowing the Lord. It's not that I'm obliging Lord by saying that there is God. But it's something that I, I discover in my life. So discovering that there is God, that is omniscient, omnipotent, that is order, and there is benevolent order, that is always, that order is such that it's always beneficial to me, that there are laws alright, but laws are such that they always are always favorable to me. They are always favoring me. From which standpoint, Swamiji, it's not so. I cannot say that God has always favored me. Lot of, there are millions of things that I did not get that I wanted. Then again the devotee has the trust that he may not give me what I want, but definitely he gives me what I need. So maybe what I wanted was not in the best interest of me. Who knows? How do I know that what I want is necessarily beneficial to me? In my limited, because of my little intellect or little understanding, I think that this is what will help me, this is going to be good for me. It may not be. Just as a mother does not always oblige the child by fulfilling every demand of the child, because if mother feels that this demand is not right, she will not oblige him. At that time the child may feel that the mother is, I, I don't like, I, mom, I hate you, you are so cruel, so it may feel. But still, mother knows what is best for the child. Because child is not yet mature enough to understand that. And similarly also, I may not be mature enough to understand what is the best for me in my life. I keep on placing many demands before the Lord. He is not obliged to fulfill them all, because if he feels, he knows that if they are fulfilled, maybe that it will not do me good. Again trust. So, this is surrender, which involves what called Shraddha. Bhakti, Shraddha means the trust of the faith. Bhakti means devotion. So Lord Krishna is talking about devotion. Mai chananya yogena bhakti rabhyavicharani In the 13th chapter, abhyavicharani bhakti, an unswerving devotion to me. Devotion means the trust in the Lord, acceptance of the Lord, giving Him the benefit of doubt, surrendering my will to His will. Your will, thy will be done. Maam chayogavicharena bhakti yogena sevate. In the 14th chapter also he says. In the chapters of knowledge he says that. 15th chapter also is chapter of knowledge. 
tameva chadyam purusham prapande. I take refuge into that purusha, into that Lord. Yetaf pravrutihi prasuta purani. From whom I have ensured this eternal manifestation. So that is the source of the eternal manifestation of this creation. Who is the source of creation? Urdhamulam adhashakam. That Paramatma, the Lord, is the Mula, the very root from which this Shadi, the tree of the samsara has emerged. So I take refuge on the root and not under the tree. This is called Asangata. Asangata is that rather than getting entangled in the tree, I may search for the root. Of the samsara also, rather than getting entangled in all these manifest myriads of names and forms, I rather take refuge into that which is the truth of this creation, that which is the root of the creation, that which is the cause of the creation, that which is the source of the creation. Here the root also is the cause and cause also is the source because he is both the creator as well as creation. He is both the nimitta as well as the padana karana. He is both the intelligent as well as the material cause. He is both the giver as well as given. And so I take refuge unto him. Yataha, from whom? Prasuta Purani Pravrtihi. This Pravrti. Pravrti means this. This Purani Pravrti, eternal manifestation. It is the creation. So we say the creation is beginningless. This whole process is going on from the time beginningless. Because he is beyond time. So who can be there? He was always there. That means he is the one who is beyond the time. From him the time also springs. I take refuge unto him. Meaning that I consider that as my goal. That's also refuge. I'm always surrendered to that which I look upon as my goal. So today I'm also surrendered. There are bhaktas, you know, it's called patni bhakta, dhana bhakta, bhakta, desha bhakta. In the, in, in, in the Indian language it is said like this, desha bhakta, the one is devoted to country. He is devoted to his job, Swamiji. He is devoted to his family. He is devoted to his wife. He is devoted to money. He is devoted to power. We don't, we use these expressions. In fact, people are devoted. That alone is called devotion. He is devoted to power, he'll do anything for that acquiring that. He is devoted to wealth, he'll do anything. That just changed the locus from devotion to all these millions of things. Recognize that all those things I want, not for their sake, I want them really for the sake of the self. And therefore, all the devotion is slowly routed into devotion for the self. So here also Lord Krishna says, how devotion becomes a means of knowledge. How that is required? Devotion means that commitment, tatparata. So commitment. So I look upon that as my goal and I discover commitment for that. So that all my effort and time, all of this is dedicated to that. Because that's what it is going to take. It's going to take a full-fledged effort on my part. This cannot be a part-time thing. So only once in a month we meet, you know. So people are happy that we are a part of the vichara, the study group. How often do we meet? Once in a month. And then also it's not convenient to everybody. Sometimes we might skip. Or twice a month, that's great. Twice a month, I mean. So we about one and a half times a month it works out because every time, every alternate Sunday we are not able to meet. <laughs> Part time. That is also good. It's better to have something than not having it. But what Lord Krishna says is that this must become a all-out effort. That alone is called surrender where there is abhya vichara bhakti 
an unserving devotional Lord, but there is nothing other than Him in my life. So, that is the maturity of devotion. It's, again, does not happen in one day, but when our devotion becomes mature. How does it become mature? When my understanding becomes mature. Let me all the time think about this. What am I searching? What is it that is goal of my life? Let my mind always ask this question. And that whatever I do may be become a means of achieving that goal. Let my whole life become a process of achieving that goal. So let there be a clarity of the goal. At the same time, let there be an understanding of how I should lead my life so that whatever I do becomes a means of achieving that goal. Is it not so? When a young boy also is determined that he wants to become an ace tennis player, that he wants to win a championship, a Wimbledon championship, let us say. That's it. Whatever he does, from the age of six he has his dream. Then you receive the life of that child. At the age of 18 or 19, when he does become a champion, if you look at the history of that child, everything is, the whole life is totally dedicated to that. Nothing but tennis. If he works out, tennis. Eats certain kind of food, tennis. Sometimes does not eat, tennis. He sleeps, tennis. Does not sleep, tennis. Whatever that person does, tennis, tennis, tennis. If he wants to become a champion, otherwise that's okay. But we can see how a goal like that is, it is all-consuming. So ultimately Lord Krishna desires that this must become an all-consuming occupation. That's what we call the maturity of the devotion or maturity of commitment. So it is also called surrender. Surrender also becomes mature such that more of Ishwara and less of I ultimately all of Ishwara and none of I. That's where it culminates. <coughs> of course that requires certain preparation. What is that preparation? Lord Krishna talks about the fifth verse. We'll see it tomorrow. Om Purnamadaf Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamevavashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavanta Punapunaha Ishvara Guru Ratmiri Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Namaha Hari Om